0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bible, if you want to stay there in Luke chapter two, we'll be there as well as you can put your thumb in Romans chapter five. We get to our last Sunday of of Advent. We've been looking at themes each week and this week we get to peace. Hope, love, joy, and peace has been our focus. And when we talk about peace, One of the questions that comes to my mind is what is what is peace? We have to answer that question. What is it? I was thinking about that in my office trying to think about. Peace and how to how to define it, and I don't have a definition that I that I wrote down. I didn't even look up a a definition. I was just sitting there thinking about it. And really where my mind went to was wondering if it's even obtainable. Is peace really obtainable? Is peace really worth something to struggle for or to fight for or to look for? Because I do have to wonder, I would think maybe you would too as you watch the news, look at things in the world or maybe even bring it down into your life in general. Is it something that's doable? Is it that, is that really possible to have peace. I mean, it's something we talk about, but is it really just some pie-in-the-sky thought that really doesn't exist? That's really not often there. I mean, our country, I would say, stands on the fact that we are peacemakers, we would say. Even with our military, we want to do good, and so there are times we see bad things happening in other countries, and then we would go and, and do things. I mean, this is what we say, at least. This, is, this would be our stance, in those situations. But has that worked? Do we see peace happening? Do we see peace taking place? Is there anywhere in this world that we could go and point to and say, this is where peace takes place? When I ask that question, I guess my mind goes directly to me by myself in the woods. Honestly. I think this is where peace takes place. But then if I start to think about it a little bit more, I think, no, it doesn't, because the whole time I'm there, I'm either ticked off because I'm not seeing anything, wondering if anything is gonna happen, or I'm, I'm so filled with anxiety because something is coming that I'm shaking and nervous and not sure what I'm going to do. And so even there all by myself with, with nobody else around, it's hard to experience peace. It's hard to find peace. I think one thing that we can all agree with, though, is that peace is fleeting. I already talked about it a little bit, I guess, but it's fleeting in our lives personally. And it's also fleeting communally as we look around. Everybody around us, as we get to know people, once that first face value gets wiped away from somebody you know, you might, you might see somebody and say, man, they seem to have it together. They, they seem to have something that I would want. Once you get to know them, you realize, huh, no, I don't, I don't want what they have either. Cause they don't have peace in their life as well. Yet, in our passage today, that Pastor Spencer and his wife Courtney read, as Courtney got to the last verse in verse 14, we see that we have a promise. We have a declaration from the angels. At the birth of Jesus, at the, at the birth of Jesus Christ, we have this, this yelled out, this sung out, whatever, whatever you want to say there in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. And it says, an on earth, peace. Peace. Well, as I just talked about, that just doesn't seem to match with what we see. Our, our passage promises peace. It says, peace has come because of Christ. And as you look throughout Scripture, the Bible speaks of peace a lot. And what we learn is that as believers, as people who've been saved by the grace of God, peace is actually supposed to be central in our lives. It's supposed to be a characteristic of our, of our life that people see, that we feel, that we understand. And I don't know if we could all say that we feel that way. I don't know if we could all say we really experience that and, you might say, well, I don't experience that every day. I would ask you, what days do you? What days do you experience it? What days do you feel a sense of peace? The peace that, prom, that God has promised us in his word. What I hope to accomplish this morning in preaching God's word is to see, that, see what the Bible means when it talks about peace and the, and the promise of peace. Peace. Because we see here again in verse 14, the promise of it. And on earth, peace, the angels would say. On those whose sovereign, God's sovereign will has pleasure in. Well, when you look in the Old Testament, peace is there. Maybe you've heard the word shalom before, but that's what it is talking about shalom when, when the when they would greet each other, when the Israelites the Jewish people, even still today, would, would greet each other, they would say, Shalom to each other. And what this means is, is peace, peace to you. When you really start to break it down, it means it means totality, it means completeness, absolute completeness. And so what the Jewish people were after in talking about this is they're saying, you know, we want to see completeness in our life with God. And with each other, they understood that there was some some sort of separation there and they needed it to be restored. And so it was something that they sought after. They sought after shalom. They they sought after peace. And, and you can go in all different types of areas, all different types of uh, places in Scripture to find this played out or to find this talked about. But one of the things that you're going to notice in the Old Testament is that when peace is talked about, it's oftentimes linked together with righteousness, with righteousness. Uh, if you read Isaiah 57, 17 through 21, you don't have to uh, turn there. It should be on the screen. It says, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. peace, peace. To the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You see, we see this connection with, with peace and with righteousness, or with the way that people live and the things that they, that they are doing. God is saying, you cannot have peace and be wicked. It just, It just doesn't exist. It's just not able to happen because the two are just so linked together. Now, one of the things that the Old Testament prophets understood, again, in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 12, the prophets understood this. Oh, Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. So even in the Old Testament, we see the prophets speaking out, understanding that only God can provide peace. He's the only one. It's not something that we can achieve on our own. In the book of Levit- Leviticus, God promises peace to those who are in covenant with him. Those that he has made a covenant with. These are the ones that can have peace because of God's work. Now, before I get too far, and we're going to get into the New Testament, something that kind of bothers me this week I was looking at some different articles, and this time of year, you know, you get your top 10 list, top 10 of 2019, and since we're ending a decade, top 10 things that happened in the decade, all these different things. I don't know if you know, the the number one Christian bestseller for uh, the Christian category is a book that absolutely goes against Scripture absolutely goes against scripture. Now maybe you've read this book and I'm not saying you're a heretic because you read this book and I'm not saying you're a bad person because you read this book and I don't even think I'm going to name this book, but the book just keeps talking about going into yourself to be stronger. And it's speaking to ladies. It's a book written for women. Know your strength as a woman. Find your inner strength. Look into your yourself. You can be strong. This will be given to you when you can do these things. When you have faith in yourself, you can achieve all of these things. You see, the falsehood of that promise is what this writer is saying is she's saying, "Listen, women, you can find peace within yourself." And what Scripture says is exactly the opposite. The only way you can ever find peace is through the Lord, not yourself. If you try to find it in yourself, you will fall flat. You will constantly be in turmoil. You will constantly be fighting against yourself. Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about because you fight with yourself all the time. Maybe even sometimes it becomes audible and people look at you. What are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry, that was supposed to be internal. And I made it external. But it's sad because today we label things as Christian, we label things as God-honoring, yet we teach something very different. And it's sad because it just leads people astray and it leads people down a rabbit hole of destruction in their life. But always, since the very beginning, God has taught and God has shown that only he can be the provider of peace. This continues in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word is not shalom. It's irene, And it means the absence of conflict But it goes even deeper than this as you study the New Testament more. It really is talking about a reconciliation with God, an absence of conflict between myself and God. There's going to be conflict in this world, and I'm sure I'll have with people, but I do not want to have conflict with God. And that's what this word talks about. This is what Israel longed for. They wanted peace. They wanted it politically, they wanted it militarily most of all, they wanted it spiritually and they needed it spiritually and we need it spiritually. And we can see verse after verse, again, of examples of this being prophesied about. But what we have here in Luke chapter two, verse 14 is this. We have God making a declaration. Saying this peace that has been promised to you has come in the way that it has come is in my son Jesus being born fully God and fully man to reconcile sinful man back to myself. Therefore, the angels could loudly proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's why God could make that statement was because he knew he was making the way. He was accomplishing the task. And therefore, God can promise, and the Bible still promises this, this very moment, that we can have peace spiritually, that we can have peace inwardly, but also this, there is a promise that we will have peace outwardly. And that's the good news. That's why I've been so excited to be able to preach this message this morning. Because this morning, I believe that if God will work in your heart, this promise, it holds true for us today. You can leave here this morning with 100% peace spiritually, 100% peace inwardly, and with an understanding of what the Bible's talking about when it talks about an outward peace. So let's dive into it quickly this morning. The reason we cannot have peace spiritually is because of sin. That is what separates us from God. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. If you go into the New Testament, Romans chapter 3 talks extensively about how your sin has separated you from God. You may be sitting here today and you may be saying, I don't I don't really have a conflict with God. You might not wake up every morning and say, You know what, God? I'm going to get you today. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. What the Bible talks about saying you have a conflict with God is it's saying because you have sin, you are, catch this, an enemy of God. Because of your sin, you're actually an enemy of God. You might not just be in a little conflict, a little little spat with him. No, you're his enemy because of your sin. Completely separated from him. We rebel against him Every single day, and we strive in our life to beat Him. Now again, you might say, I don't think that way. This is how you think that way. Please hear me. When you try to put yourself on God's throne in your life, you're striving to beat Him. God, God, I know this is what your word says, that I should, I should read my Bible daily, that I should meditate on your word, that I should spend time in prayer. But God, you don't understand my schedule. You don't understand that I can accomplish more by doing than I can by sitting and reading. You see that? We're competing with him. God, God, I know better than you. (laughs) We're fighting against him. We're having a conflict there. And we can extend that to all these different areas of our life. God, I know I shouldn't say this word, but you don't understand how mad I am at this person right now. And it's the only word I can think of to get my point across. Therefore, I'm going to say it. God, I'm smarter than you. God, I'm better than you. God, I know more than you. God, you do not understand how I feel, only I do. Therefore, I will determine what I do. This conflict rages within us. But the great thing about our God is this. If you look in Romans chapter five, I've just not been able to get away from this passage over the last few weeks. Romans chapter five, verse one says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we rebel against God. We have this conflict with God. But the only way for us to ever have peace with God is what it says there in verse one, justified by faith. The only way my relationship can be restored with God is by faith. And his promises is by faith in him. And when I have faith in him, the Bible promises that I will have peace with God the Father. That's a peace, a peace that he has given me. It's not, a, it's not a peace that I have obtained. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. I, I read these a lot. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is a a gift that God has given us. Even, Even faith itself is a gift that God has given us to be able to look to him and to be able to say, God, I believe in what you have done through Jesus, your son. And God, by faith, I trust in that wholeheartedly. for for the forgiveness of my sins, wholeheartedly. Nothing else do I trust in, but in that for me to have a good relationship with you. If you've been here at all recently, we just went through the whole book of Galatians and this is what Galatians talked about. Having peace with God is a God-ordained thing, not a Tim-ordained thing. I want to rebel. I want to run. But yet God and his great love for me draws me to himself. Who does this? Who does something like this? Who looks at his enemy and would say, you know, even though you're my enemy, I love you so much. I'm going to draw you to myself. And in fact, I'm not going to make you do something when you get here. I'm not going to say, you know what? Do 40 push-ups." Do some sit-ups. Can you do Can you do 10 pull-ups? If you can do that, then we'll be friends. No, God doesn't do anything like that. God draws me to himself and then he puts on me the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, who we celebrate the birth of. Look at Romans chapter five. This is why I'm just so stuck in it. Look at verse six, beginning in verse six. It says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died. What does it say? Not the godly. Christ died for the righteous. Christ died for the religious. Christ died for those who go to church every week. No. It says, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man will one die yet perhaps, I'm sorry, I'm reading that again. For a good man, one would even dare to die. But look at verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) What an amazing love we have from God the Father. Is that while you are still a sinner, while I was still a sinner rebelling against God, God in his great love for you, God in his great love for me would send his perfect son to the cross to die. To die on that cross unjustly. No sin could be found in him. He did not have a conflict with the father. Yet because of God's love for you, because of God's love for me, God would pour out his wrath on his son to pay the price for your sin and for mine. <laughs> what kind of love is that? That's a love that you don't experience in your marriage. That's a love that you just simply don't experience in a parental child relationship. It's a kind of love that just doesn't exist, it seems, in this world. But it's a love that's been given to us by a loving father. And so God has made a way for us to have peace spiritually. And he's done that through Jesus. But he's also made a way for us to have peace inwardly. You might say, well, what's the difference? Well, for me, the difference is this. I have a lot of Christians who come into my office and they do not have peace. When I talk to them, They can answer all the questions about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done. I can say, have you ever accepted Christ as your savior? They would say, yes, I've done this. And it was this date, and I've been baptized. But for some reason, they just don't seem to embody it. It doesn't seem to be playing out in their life. And now for those people, it's very difficult to counsel them because it is hard to to determine. I I can't judge their heart. Have you really trusted in Christ or have you not? I I can't really answer that for them. That's something that's between them and the Lord. But God has given us so much proof in Scripture that if by faith we've trusted in Him, there are some things that we must remember, and I think if we live our lives knowing this, it will give us peace inwardly. Number one, we should know who we are in Christ when He saves us. Second Corinthians 5:17: "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. the old gone. Behold, the new has come. I don't have to hold on to my sin anymore. I don't have to walk around saying, oh, yeah, but I used to do this. And I used to tell these jokes. And I used to look at women this way. And I used to do that. That's gone. You say, yeah, but Pastor Tim, it still creeps up in my life. Yeah, mine too. But guess what? He conquered it. He conquered it. I don't have to keep going to him over and over again saying, God saved me again, I did this. No, God knows me and he saved me once and for all. I don't need it again. He saved me. And so I don't have to walk around with that guilt because in Christ, I'm a new creation. Those old things are gone. This is who he has made me. And if that's not enough, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells me this, but you are a chosen race. What? I'm chosen by God? that brings new light for me. If I just happened to stumble upon God and God was like, yeah, okay, that's one thing. But for the Bible to say, no, God chose Tim, that's a whole nother thing. That's exciting. But But I didn't finish reading the verse. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Listen, who you are in Christ, you are an ambassador for him. He saved you not just to say, you know what, I'm going to save you, but don't talk because you're not smart. You know what, I saved you, but you're pretty ugly, so stay in the background. No, that, that doesn't happen. It says, I have saved you for you to go out and to proclaim my excellencies. Let it be known that you are mine and I love you and I've chosen you and that you're a royal priesthood. I've sent my son for you. That is who you are in Christ. If you woke up every day thinking that way, how could you not have peace inwardly? Who cares what other people say? Who cares if my boss tells me I'm ignorant? Who cares if my wife doesn't want to talk to me? Well, you should care about that. But you can't knock me down because I am God's. He's chosen me. And not only has he chosen me, but he's gave me a mission in this life. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. Right? Right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So not only has God chosen you, has God saved you, not only has he made you a new creation, not only has he done all these things for you, he has given you a mission for your life. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more frustrating to me and to win, I get asked to go to something or be somewhere, and then they give me nothing to do. Now, I'm not one of those people. I have friends who are perfectly happy. They would say, man, I just love to be on that team because they win. Well, do you want to play? I don't even care. Well, to me, you're a loser. That's just me, okay? That's how I function. I want to be the star on the team. I want to have an integral part. I want to be in it. When I, I think I've told you this before. When I was first ordained as a deacon in this church... We'd have to do Lord's Supper, and they would say, "We're going to beat meet at church at five o'clock to set up Lord's Supper." And nothing aggravated me more than this, because I would get here at five minutes before five o'clock, and it would be done. Why? Because all the old deacons got here way earlier and did all the work. And I would think, "Why in the world am I here now? You should have just told me, and I could have stayed home and came later. I would have been perfectly happy with that. There's no point for me to be here. I'm useless. Some of you feel that way. You feel that way in life. You wake up every morning and you think, I'm completely useless. I'm gonna go do this job that nobody cares about. I've got eight bolts that I gotta put on this car. Who really cares? What difference does this really make? If I were to die, Ford or Chrysler, or whoever you work for, they'd just replace you the next day. They wouldn't even have to train the guy that long either, probably. Just put some bolts on a car. And so you go home and you think, what does it even matter? And you go home and your wife doesn't really care that you're home. Your kids are grown up maybe and gone. And so you don't really have that anymore. And you think, what is the point? I just wish the Lord would take me. Why even be here? Can I tell you this? God saves people for a point, for a purpose, to live out his mission in your life. And there are people who work that line who right next to you. And you know what? They are lost and going to hell. They do not have peace in their heart. Oh, they are angry and they are bitter. And you have the answer. You have the key. You hold the source of what they need in their life. And maybe, just maybe, God has put you there for that purpose. Oh, I didn't put you here to put eight bolts on a car. I put you here to make an eternal impact on this guy working next to you. I put you here to an internal, uh, uh, just this huge impact on this family who is in need and you can give to them. Would you do that? As Christians, we do not have the right to be walking around without inward peace. Even if the world is going crazy, even if we're not confident of where our career is going or necessarily what's happening in our family, we know this. I know who I am in Christ and I know what he has created me for. And that is to be light in a dark world. And no matter what situation I find myself in. And so God has given us the answer to spiritual peace. He's given us the answer to having inward peace. But the Bible also talks a lot about outward peace. And I want to say this and kind of wrapping up. The church body should be the way in which this world, that this is experienced outward peace when we walk into this building, when we fellowship together out in the community or wherever we may be, we are supposed to embody peace as a congregation to where we can be comfortable with each other, to understand that God has brought us together as a church family to be a refuge of peace amongst each each other. Listen, when you go off to work, it's hard to stay peaceful. I understand that. You're getting battered and you're getting, you're getting beaten. And students, when you go to school, you're hearing all these different sort of things. That shouldn't happen when we come back in here. Now, sadly, I, I got to be honest, that, that happens in here. Where we have to walk on eggshells sometimes because I'm afraid they're going to think this or I'm afraid they're going to be bad. This should not be the place to where we always go to the negative with each other. It should be the exact opposite. If we're a body of believers, Saved by the great grace of God. We need to be giving each other the benefit of the doubt because God has. If God would love me so much that he would send his son for me, you should love me too. And the same goes, I should love you. If Christ has died for you, if Christ has saved you, then I should love you as well. And there should be peace in the fellowship, caring for each other, not backbiting, Not being envious, but supporting each other, encouraging each other. You know, the Bible actually promises this for the world one day. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, accomplish this. Oh, how we yearn for that day. At least we should. I look forward to the day when I can watch the news and it'd be nice. Good things happening. People caring about each other. People putting, them, putting others before themselves. I, I look for the day when there's no more war, when there's no more hurt. But I have to balance that with the words of Christ. And I really want you to see this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 36. It's on the screen. Look at this is Jesus's words. He said, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. You say, well, Pastor Tim, how in the world do we balance that with everything that you just said? Well, it goes back to the very beginning. When you submit your life to Christ by faith, you now become an enemy of the world. They hate you. You have to understand this. If you're really a Christian, if you're really a believer, if you're you're letting it be known whose you are, people will hate you. You say, yeah, but I do all these good things. Yeah, the Bible says we should do those good things. But just the fact of the matter is the world is rebelling against God. Sin has separated them. That's why it's so important for us to have peace in here. Because when we go out there, it's It's war. And the, and the only weapon you have isn't your fist. It's not to go beat them up. It's not to say, I'll show you what a real Christian guy does and kick them in the throat. We, we can't do that. The only weapon God has given us is His Word. And so we, we share with them God's Word and they ridicule us. And they make fun of us. And maybe they say that that's old fashioned and they do all these things, but we have our hope cemented in that and only that. And so we, we share that with them and listen, the world will hate it because it's not what they want to hear. Darkness does not like the light. And so Jesus's words in that verse are hundred percent true until the day he returns. Peace will not happen on this earth. It's not going to happen. Don't look for it. Don't even need to wish for it. It will not happen. You can set up the best society you can think about. It will not work. But we have been promised that one day when Christ comes back, he will reign on the throne. Peace will happen. Peace will take place. And it's not gonna be a situation where we look at people and say, told you so. It's not gonna go like that. We're gonna be able to worship our God, the true source of peace and understand what that means. In Jeremiah chapter six, verse 13 to 14, it says, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The world today says things are going good. Things are going in the right direction. We're being awakened. Our eyes are being opened to what really is right. We're being more enlightened than we've ever been before. And these are good things. They're like the prophets in Jeremiah. Oh, peace, peace, peace. When all there is is war and strife. If you're here today and you're trusting in this world for peace, you're on the wrong, the wrong end. I would beg of you. I would plead of you this morning to trust in Christ for peace. He's the only one that can give us the peace that we need. He's the only one that can give us a relationship with God the Father because of his life, because of what he has done for us, not because of what you have done. And today the Bible says, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's a promise. It's not anything special you have to do. If you feel God working in your heart saying, this is for you, Today, if you would just say, then God, I accept this. I believe this. The Bible says you will be saved. You could do that today, right where you sit. Before in times past, people would say, you need to walk an aisle and say this. You don't even have to do it. You can do it right where you are. Say, God, I accept this gift of Jesus as my savior. I hope you will this morning. If you do, I hope you'll let me know. Brothers and sisters, Christians, Christians, We need to understand the peace that we've been given to know who we are in Christ so that daily we can live with peace in our heart knowing whose we are and what he has called us to do. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there aren't days of deep depression, of anxiety. All those days exist. But when I face those days, when I feel depressed, What I get to hold on to is, yes, I feel this way, but God, I am yours. The old is gone, the new has come. God, hold me, remind me of that. Get me out of this funk I'm in. Help me. And so I hope you'll find that peace. I hope you have that peace. I'm gonna ask if you would bow with me this morning. We're gonna end in a song, but I wanna pray for us as we respond to God's word. God, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've provided for us peace, that peace is obtainable because you have done it. It's your work, not mine. God, I pray desperately this morning for that person here today who has not experienced your peace. God, I pray that you would break them, that you would humble them, that they would call on your name and trust in Jesus and the peace that he gives They would admit their separation from you, admit their inability to reach you, but to understand that you have done it for them. So God, I trust in your word and I trust that you will do your work. God, I pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. Help them know what they are and who they are in you. A royal priesthood, a people given a task to bring light into a dark world. God, that is a good work to be a part of. And so God, give us courage to do that. Give us excitement to go and to do that. And God, to think all of that started before time ever began. And as we celebrate Christmas, it comes because of a baby in a manger. God, I pray that we would see these next few minutes as a time to sing this song in reflection to you, but also... As a time of invitation, a time to respond to your word. And God, I pray that we would do that faithfully, that we would respond. I thank you for the peace that only you can provide. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.